0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. To introduce our Bible teaching time, we need the text read. We're in Romans 12, 2 today. Put a hand up if you need a Bible. and We've got volunteers passing out scripture right now. If you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. It's yours. Take it home. And to read scripture today, would you please give a foundation welcome to one of our elders, Kevin White? Thank you. I lied to you. I totally lied to you. He said he's going to have the scripture for me. I guess we just read it from the screens together. Don't let the brevity of the scripture take away from the depth of the message. Lift up your mic. Yeah. What do I I need to do something? Closer to your mouth. Romans 12, chapter 2. Is there a is there a switch on the bottom? It says green. There we go. Okay. Operator error. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Amen. 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 Thank you, sir. If you were with us last week, you know we started a series about marriage, building a marriage that lasts. We tackled the biggest probably most important, and in some ways, thorniest text of Ephesians 5. Who wants to hear the word submit? Nobody likes that one, right? So why on earth, after hearing, okay, marriage is all about Jesus, it's a picture of his love for the church, this is showing his love to the world, it's not about me. Why on earth, in a series on marriage, are we bringing up Romans 12, 2, to assess our marriages? future, or current, or past? I'm so glad you asked. You see, if you're anything like me, you hear a passage, you read it, you hear a sermon, you hear a Bible study lesson, you're reading a a Christian book that's teaching you about something, and you go, okay, that's nice, and you move on. Okay, time for Christian authenticity. Put up a hand if you've ever heard Scripture and you just moved on with your day. Anybody done that one? Happens all the time. It's easy to do. Who here has ever moved on with your day on purpose because that text bothered you? I don't like what Jesus said, right? We have plenty of biblical evidence, let alone historical evidence, that we tend to pick up rocks and stone the prophet to death when we don't like what God said through the prophet, right? Right? Romans 12.2 says to Christians that the journey of following Jesus is one of transformation, not just behavior. The Holy Spirit is working on you and in you, reforming the way you think, not just your passions, that starts, that's first, what you care about, what you value, but how you think so that everything that flows out of you is representative of your Savior. Hey, I can hear you guys. Hello? hey guys hey I can hear you I can't even think thank you I'm sorry I just literally can't think Romans 12 2 is a big deal because it is telling Christians until your thinking is transformed by what you wrestle with are you really following Jesus We, we have become experts in I don't know Show up at church, attend the Bible study, smile, move along, and just declare victory. I'm a great Christian, I'm doing wonderful. But if we're honest, the text sometimes bothers us. If we're honest, the text, when it doesn't bother us, the gravity of it was way bigger. Who here has read scripture and it hit you like a ton of bricks and you're embarrassed because you'd already read it a hundred times before? That's because the word is living and breathing sharper than a scalpel. Romans 12.2 is saying, hey church, you took a look at Ephesians 5 last week, praise the Lord, that's a good thing to do. But now have you done the deep work of letting it transform the way you think? Did you rest on Ephesians 5 until it bothered you? Did you stay longer until you were wrestling with God, not willing to let go until you get a blessing? Or did you move on? So today's sermon, we're going to ask in the metaphor of construction, all right, building a marriage that lasts, are we willing to assess the possibility, if not probability, that God's blueprints for marriage, which we saw quite a bit of last week, might not be the only set of blueprints we've ever been handed Maybe I have different ideas about how to do marriage. Maybe culture has different ideas for me. Maybe my family of upbringing has different ideas. That would actually help us diagnose the the obedience problem, the joy-filled, glad obedience. What if I've always been operating off of a different set of blueprints, and that's why I hear what God has to say, and I'm just not having it. Okay, just me. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Jesus sketches out something for you. He grabs his pen on the back of a napkin. You're chatting at Starbucks. And he says, hey, Greg, I heard that you asked Emily to marry you. That's awesome. I know you guys both love me. I know you want to glorify God together. uh, Here's where the living room goes. Here's where the garage is going to go. Here's where the bathroom goes. Here's where the driveway is going to be. Because I made you, I designed masculinity and femininity, I designed humanity, I designed marriage, and I love you more than you could ever love yourself. Psalm 119, on repeat, God's law is for our joy. We are to exult in the commands of God because he loves us so much and his commands are for our blessing, not to spoil our fun. So Jesus sketches out something that says, Hey, so here, here's, here's the cornerstone of the family, Greg. Uh, it's me, Jesus. I'm the cornerstone. You're going to follow me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're gonna to work to love God and love people. And that's the beginning of your family. Okay, all right, Lord. Well, How does that manifest? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, Jesus says to Greg. You're gonna lay down your life for your bride every single day until one of you is with me in heaven. well, I'm not sure I like your blueprints, Jesus. That sounds hard, (laughs) right? (laughs) And Jesus isn't speaking into a vacuum at that point. I already, at age 23, when Emily and I covenanted together, I already have some ideas by age 23, don't I? In fact, none of us, if we have been married or are married, none of us reached our wedding day a blank slate, ready to just do a Max Licato Bible study on marriage and go, all right, I'm going to joyfully accept whatever Max says is here in scriptures. That happened to none of us. I would say before your fifth birthday, you've already got some ideas about life, don't you? I know I did. So... We're going to do some deep work. Get your notes out, grab a pen, and we're going to do three different sessions of quiet time where I'm going to ask you to think and I'm going to ask you to journal right there in your sermon notes. If you did not get sermon notes, please put up a hand and we're going to bring them to you. If you do not have sermon notes and you have paper with you, you can journal there, but just something that you can keep with you. I'm going to ask you a first assessment question that we have to wrestle through these or we're not going to get to glad obedience. We're never going to get there. First assessment question. What marriage blueprints did I receive from my upbringing? What ideas, whether true or false, either way, what marriage blueprints did I receive from my upbringing? I am going to read to you some possible things that we might have received, might have taken in over the years, those early formative years. And then I'm gonna give a couple of minutes of total quiet. We have some worship music or something, that's fine, but we're not gonna bug each other. For a couple of minutes, I want you to jot down what are the at least three, maybe four messages that I took in about marriage in my earliest years? What were the blueprints that I was told were true? Here are some possible things that some of us heard in the early years. A wife doesn't have a voice. A husband watches ESPN until bed instead of engaging with his family. If one spouse cooks, the other cleans. The wife handles the checkbook. A father prays with his kids each night before bed. Wives shouldn't talk about their husband's drinking unless they want something bad to happen. Home means safety. Home means danger. A husband takes out the trash. A wife does the laundry. Marriage is survival, not friendship. Men cannot be trusted to remain faithful to their marriage vows. Women cannot be trusted to remain faithful to their marriage vows. Take a couple of minutes. You do not have to share your notes with anybody. This is you and God. What were the first messages that you took in about marriage? I'll give you two minutes. A second question that we need to look into our own lives, hearts, experiences. What marriage blueprints did I receive from culture? That's a blank for those of you taking notes. What marriage blueprints did I receive from culture? I'm going to read a few ideas to you and then we're going to take a couple of minutes to look inside ourselves. If a wife doesn't have a job outside of the home, she's a victim of male chauvinism and a doormat who contributes nothing to society. Since love is a feeling, and I feel in love, why not have sex together, have kids together, buy a house together? Marriage is just a piece of paper. It's a disgrace for a man to earn less than his wife. He must be lazy. Men don't lead homes. They watch porn and play video games all day. Marriage is something I can think about in my 30s. Right now, I'm focused on my career. Take a couple of moments to write down at least three things you believe culture taught you about marriage. A third and in some ways the most difficult assessment question we need to ask ourselves what marriage blueprints did i receive from well-intentioned but misguided christians what i mean by this is the person absolutely loves the lord the person absolutely loves you but if you slowed down what they told you might not actually jibe with scripture does that make sense christians we don't get to teach things outside of scripture we do our very best but sometimes we miss the mark. I'm gonna share a few things that I know from actual experience, what Christians have said to other Christians, and then we're gonna do a little self-assessment. If a wife has a job outside of the home, she is sinning. Sex is dirty and wrong. There's no difference in what God asks husbands to do and wives to do. Male headship means the husband makes all the decisions. Going to a marriage therapist is not relying on God's word. Your marriage is your business. No one in the church should know your struggles. Take a couple of moments, ask yourself and journal, what have I heard from the church? What messages have I taken in that I'm not sure are exactly biblical messages? Holy Spirit, give us insight into lies that we have believed. Holy Spirit, give us the humility to press into your word and assess whether things we've believed, are they true or are they not? Jesus, make foundation a church where we always look at culture through the lens of scripture, not the other way around. Where we always look at our past experiences through the lens of scripture not the other way around, and where we definitely, gently but firmly, hold each other's words up to scripture to make sure we're not deceived even by well-intentioned folks. God, give us soft hearts right now as we look into just, just a small handful of texts about marriage. Texts that are going to bother the flesh, bother the old self. God, put our spirit-born self in the driver's seat so that we gladly obey your voice. We want to humbly submit to you, Lord. We want to be a humble people. We want to be desperately following after you. But we cannot do it apart from your Holy Spirit's help. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ and God's people said. Amen. Amen. So the sermon part, if you will, is the practical application. I know I normally don't build sermons this way, but here we go. This is what actually where the rubber meets the road. From what we heard last week, if you on your own, if you've ever read Ephesians 5 or any passage about marriage that you didn't totally like what it said to you will I gladly receive and follow the marriage blueprints God gives us in scripture? And again, on repeat for over five years now, all obedience questions are really trust questions. Do I trust the king of the universe to build this better than I could build it? Do I trust that he loves me more than I love me? And I wanna keep pointing you guys back to Romans eight. that says, If he gave you his son on the cross, won't he give you everything else? Greg's standard version is like this. Really? After the cross, we're going to doubt his love? Same idea, I promise. After the cross, we're still finding ourselves doubting his love for us. What is that? Except even if you've been transformed by grace... You still have the old self inside you fighting, whispering, going, God's holding out on you. Same lie as in the garden in Genesis 3. God's holding out on you. So I ask you, foundation, those of you who hope to be married one day, those of you who are married, those of you who are looking back on a marriage, will you gladly Receive and obey what God has for you? Are we going to skim past last week? Are we going to skip over in our minds and in our hearts every time we come across these key and beautiful passages? Let me bring up some inconvenient passages right now to help us figure out. You can test your faithometer. Do I find myself joyfully receiving that or do I find myself bucking against it? If you are experimenting, with the Christian faith. You're trying to figure out what Jesus is all about. You're going to buck against every one of these, and that's fine, but you get to know in advance what you're signing up for. If you decide to follow Jesus, you'd be choosing to trust his design for marriage, not just marriage, but all of your existence. So let's take a look at a few inconvenient texts. Did you know Deuteronomy 7 expressly tells you that the family of faith does not marry outside of the family of faith? Did you know that? putting it in New Covenant language. He tells Christians, only marry Christians. I know that not everybody's favorite book in the whole world is Ezra. You weren't just meditating on that last night before you went to bed. The whole crisis of the book of Ezra, when God's people come back from exile from all of their sins, they got exiled and, and God mercifully allows them to come back and they find out a bunch of the men, even what we would call pastors, even the Levites, had intermarried with foreign women Really terrible exegesis in the 19th century led some southern pastors to go, see, black and white marrying is a sin. And they argued for segregation out of that text. They completely missed the point of what God was saying in the Old Testament. What God was saying over and over again is, these people, these Canaanites, saw what I did to Pharaoh, and I gave them, in Mosaic Law, a way where they could worship me as well. They have rejected it. It was a spiritual decision. And that's why they're at war with Israel and literally attacking and killing us right now. This is spiritual. It's not about what color they are. Anybody could have looked at that. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to look at Moses and go, oh, Moses' wife was black. There, there are Ruth, the Moabite, like all kinds of non-Jewish blood is put into the family of God over and over again through faith, And then Acts chapter two comes along and we're all surprised. Like we didn't know God's heart all along was for the nations. The crisis in Ezra isn't that men are marrying a woman who's a different skin color than him. He doesn't care at all that God said, you know she's gonna lead your heart away from me, right? God said all the way from Deuteronomy 7, She worships something as her ultimate, whether she admits it or not. You worship something as your ultimate. If you marry her, you are confessing out loud, I am willing to risk my ultimate. Has God gotten up in your business yet? We're only on the first verse. Has he gotten up in your business yet? Because in American culture, we grow up with the autonomy of thinking this is entirely up to me and my feelings. And God seems to go, no, no, not so much. What about Proverbs 5? He says to never have sex with anyone other than your spouse. Every teenager's favorite Bible verse. (laughs) Every youth pastor's favorite Bible verse. We pull this thing out early and often. And it's not the only one. Does your cultural upbringing make that one smooth for you? Is there anything about 20th and 21st century American culture that makes that easy? Hard pill to swallow. But he designed it, and he's creating a unity that is spiritual, not just physical. And we're going to yet again decide do I I trust this God of the Bible? Do I trust him? Because I have some desires. I don't know. His blueprint isn't nearly as fun as my blueprint. What about some other things God has told us? Husbands and wives submit to Christ in different ways, yet retain their equality. I said last week that the gospel's image in Ephesians 5, through marriage, destroys extreme feminism and destroys chauvinism in the same breath. Chauvinism, male chauvinism, is a man saying, in Christian circles, would say, I, because I am the spiritual leader of the home, I am over my wife, I am more important, I get to make all the decisions, I'm in charge, etc., etc., etc. And the equality of Ephesians 5 destroys that. The cap verse, verse 21, says, submit to one another, that's a mutual command, out of reverence for Christ. And then he says, this is what that means for the wives, this is what that means for the husband's mutual submission, screams loudly that the two of you are equal to each other. So a a woman that's been hurt by a man or that's read a few books and got all worked up that men are the worst thing ever, she is also in error when she puts down masculinity and says, we are better. Right? Right? if we are to submit to Christ out of our reverence for him, and that submission is then extrapolated in a number of verses, a dozen verses, telling us that that submission doesn't manifest the exact same way. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, sacrifice yourself for your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Wives, respect your husbands. Does that mean that husbands don't have to respect their wives just because Paul emphasizes that for the woman? Say no. Are ladies not supposed to love their husbands just because love was emphasized toward the man? Of course not. It's a point of emphasis, right? It's just a point of emphasis. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is looking into marriage as a broken institution in a fallen world and going, okay, let's the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Here are some places where men tend to struggle. Allow me to address that. Here are some places where the ladies tend to struggle. Let me address that. If you want the genders to be equal, praise the Lord. I hope everybody wants that. But there's this phrase I grew up with called throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Our culture conditions us to say for two people to be equal, they have to have the exact same assignment from their commander-in-chief. And that's simply not true. Okay? If a soldier is on the battlefield and he gets shot and dies, that is just as big a tragedy as a soldier who's out on a boat pressing red buttons that send missiles. If that boat gets hit and that person dies... They had an entirely different assignment toward the same broader objective, and their lives are completely equal in their value. Did that help at all? That was on the fly. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 13, this is offensive upon offensive. Did you know God tells us what love is? Wanna know what love is? And he didn't ask our opinion. It's like God thinks he gets to define all of the terms. How brazen of him. He gets to say what love is. He spends four beautiful verses telling us, more important than this text, is when scripture tells us God is love. So if you want a stronger, clearer picture of how modern culture is completely rooted in atheism... Take scripture's words, God is love, and then look for a bumper sticker and you go, it says, love is love. All you did is take God's identity, beauty, authority, rip him out of the picture and you go, there is nothing big enough that could fit on the other side of this equation. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. So I say, love is love, which any math teacher will tell you is crazy. You can't use the definition to define the thing, but we're doing it. Why? We're desperate for God to not exist so I can have his throne. I want to define every part of reality because then I'll get my way. Like Burger King's been telling me my entire life I was going to get. What is marriage if God gets to define all the terms? And again, if you love Jesus, this doesn't even bother you. If you are born of the Spirit and you are being trained in righteousness where you trust your Savior, you gave up a long time ago on your own ability to successfully define terms. You're thrilled. Even as it indicts you, go to the text, take out the word love, put in your own name. Greg is patient. Greg is kind. Ooh, every one of those hurts. Greg does not envy. Greg does not boast. Ow, Ugh. ah. That's the Holy Spirit convicting of sin. It doesn't have to feel good for me to enjoy its beauty and to treasure it. I'm just so glad Jesus is all of those things. He's the point, not me. What about this? This is tough. God said divorce is a concession, not as intended best. Jesus gave one uh, allowable reason for divorce. Paul gave another Everyone's been fighting over it and uh, bickering back and forth for 2,000 years over what the rules are. But here's, here's what we know, for sure. When something goes sideways, whether it's 100% your fault, 0% your fault, 50-50, 70-30, does Satan want to come and whisper in your ear and condemn you? Satan can and will try to shame you over something that was not your fault at all. He will try to shame you and condemn you and help you to find identity over things that you did do. He'll come to you and say, you did thus and such. And what he's saying is true, but what he's saying is totally sidestepping the cross. He's distracting you and getting your eyes back onto you and what you did or what your contribution was instead of, hey... There's a savior who died for that. I'm getting all my amens from the baby. No, 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 no. I needed somebody to be with me. I'm liking this. This is great. So this is the end of the sermon. Maybe he was just feeling it. He's like, I want a chocolate muffin. Let's get out of here. Um, the, the, The sermon, which I've already said five times, and this is why we walked through these verses, The sermon is Will I gladly receive and follow the marriage blueprints God gives us in Scripture? Because not only did we take a look at Ephesians 5 next week, we've got three more weeks of seeing what our God has for us to make marriages really flourish. I'm doing you a disservice. We're doing ourselves a disservice if we don't stop and think Do I already have blueprints from my family of upbringing? Do I have blueprints from the culture already hovering there in my belief system? Do I have blueprints from misguided Christians? If you're brand new to church, maybe that last one doesn't apply, but here's what I'm trying to get us to. In all areas of obedience, in this case marriage, we have blueprints that have been handed to us that are filled with lies. They're just wrong, and it's really hard when you're surrounded by people that also believe the exact same blueprints, and they're building their marriages, or lack thereof, according to those blueprints, and you're sitting there going, wait a minute, you're building out of straw. We were told from time immemorial that the wolf is coming, he's going to huff, and he's going to puff. Why would you build out of straw? But everybody around you says, straw is the cool thing to do. That's what Everybody's doing it. So for last week, for the next three weeks on marriage, for, if you love Jesus, your entire journey with Jesus Every single, brothers and sisters, every single thing you read in this book that implicates you and helps you, hey, you're going to have to change, hey, you're going to have to repent, hey, you're going to have to think differently to give God the praise and honor and glory that he deserves to serve the orphan and the widow, you're going to have to do something different. Every single time God speaks, he's not speaking into a vacuum. You already have beliefs that have to be ripped out. That's what I'm trying to get at. I have beliefs that have to be ripped out at the root. It's not going to be easy. This is why you don't come to Jesus on a Tuesday and you're, you stop sinning by Friday. Hey, praise the Lord, look at that. That was easy, huh? That was easy. I'm going to pray for us and then I want to do a different type of dismissal uh, Lord Jesus, we ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit that we would really hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus, those of us that are trying to figure out what we think of you, help us to see your face for what it is. Thank you for meeting us in our need. Lord, we love you so much. Make us a church that loves you more and more and more every single day that goes by that that manifests itself with loving the sojourner, the orphan, the widow, the stranger. In the great name of Jesus we pray, amen. Here's what I wanna do today that is important and it's gonna be hard for some of you because change is the worst. Elders and their wives that are willing to serve as prayer counselors, I wanna ask you guys to come forward like we usually do in an earlier part of the service. I'm going to ask that we dismiss completely quietly. If you do not need to pray right now, by all means we love you. Have a great week. But some of us are going to linger because these questions were hard and God is doing business with us right now. So, elders, if you guys would come forward. We're going to pray for folks. If you want to pray for a friend, pray for a friend. If you don't need prayer right now, have a great week. There are snacks out in the quad. We love you.